good morning, church. That's kind of weak. Excellent. <laughs> thank you, Perry, wherever you are, somewhere. There you go. Dale Griffith, thank you. Wow, it's so good to be home. Uh, for those of you who may not uh, know who I am, I'm Eric uh, Pushman. I, I spent several years here at Kirby Church and under the ministry of uh, Pastor Mike and, and Don Myers, what formidable years, and I'm so thankful for uh, the impact that they've had on my life, and uh, it's just, it's good to be here. Uh, I hope this morning that, that you uh, are, are, are sold out to the words that you, that you sang this morning. Um, it's good to know, and, and this sounds simple, it's good to know that, that he is God alone. Uh, that, that in the good times, when, when things are, are going great, he's God. Don't forget that in those, in those uh, prosperous times. He's still on the throne, and he's good, and he's good to us. In the bad times, he is still God. And I hope we believe those, those words. But it is, is good to be here. A lot has changed uh, since I've last spoken to the congregation at Kirby. Uh, <clears throat> the last time I spoke was on a series of, of Wednesday nights that I call the, the little yellow brick church uh, there on Wick Road and, and enjoyed uh, my short little tenure there on, uh, on Wednesday nights. And it was, it was great. Um, Man, what else has happened? Um, it's, it's beautiful to see what uh, the body of Christ is doing here at Kirby, uh, to see where you are in your new location, uh, and it's, it's wonderful to see uh, God at work. Uh, it's so good to see recognizable faces. Um, I've had a lot going on in my I've moved uh, to Nashville uh, just over five years ago, and I can't believe that it's, it's been that long. Uh, it's been a good move. We've, we've enjoyed our time there. I get to travel and speak a lot, and it's uh, it's just been a good experience. Um, I want to thank the church. Uh, I told Reen, I said, I I've got to thank the church. Many of you are, are um, aware of, of what I went through a couple years ago uh, with, with my brain surgery ordeal. And I just want to thank you for being faithful. I heard from many of you uh, during those times when, when the doctor walks in and he says, uh, he says push, well, the doctor actually said, Eric, I, you guys call me push, and everybody in Nashville, the doctor comes in, he says, Eric, he said, uh, uh, what we're seeing here, uh, and I had two, two seizures that landed me at, at Baptist for a while, and uh, he said, what we're seeing here, we're seeing a brain tumor, and uh, it's showing malignant activity, and uh, we, we've got to do something about it, and I'm thinking, okay, that's what you're supposed to say to the people like in the other rooms, you know, and, and that's just my heart, that's just real. Like, I've heard about that, and, and I pray for, for people in those distresses. That, that's not fake, but at the same time, I'm like, I'm like 28 years old, and you just, you just don't, you don't do that. You don't say the word cancers, and you don't, and, and I just want to thank you for being faithful uh, and for being an encouragement, for praying for me. Um, a few days later, the doctor's uh, uh, went in to, to remove or to actually do a, a biopsy and a possible removal. And uh, when they went in, they came right out and said, there, there is nothing for us to get. Uh, and it's gone. And I rejoice in the Lord uh, for his victory. To God be the glory, great things that, that he has done. That's not for my sake because I look back and I'm like, God, and see, here, here's the sad part. God, God hadn't heard so much from me more in that time 
of those distresses. I talked to the Lord more in those, in those few weeks that I ever had in my life. And I look back on that and I'm saying, push shame on you. Because in the good times, God is still God and he is still on the throne. And just because you're down and out doesn't mean that's when you just start talking to the Lord more. But, but that's where I was. That was just real. And, and I'm so thankful for God. And apparently God has got great things in store. And, and I'm scared to death. You asked Tommy and Jessica. I spent the evening last night with us. And they both think I'm like crazy because I know that God's got good things. And it, it frightens me, you know, uh, because I, I know me. Uh, Brian, I see Brian Reed out here. Brian knows me. Brian's like my brother. And he knows me. And he's like, oh, push. I mean, I can't imagine what you thought, brother, when you walked in. You're like, Really? Seriously? Uh, But that's it, brother. And if you want to leave, I understand. And so, you know, (laughs) I I know push. I I know what I grew up in. I knew uh, my surroundings. And I'm like, God, thank you for being God because only you can do this through me. And so this morning as I come to you, I'm coming to you in Jesus' name, whose name is powerful, uh, whose name is great, whose name is worthy to be praised, not because of who I am, but because of who God is. And it's so good to be here. Here's one of the biggest changes uh, that's happened. Um, you know, when I walk into this place for like the last, you know, the last few visits that I've had, everybody's like, hey, Push, where's your kids? Hey, Push, where's your kids? So, Mike, here's the greatest thing. <laughs> that's right, everyone, one, two, three, all ready? One, two, three. Man, I love it because my kids are gorgeous, I have to say. Uh, I am totally in love. They're crazy. Uh, I told the first service, I said, there's times that I, that I look at Jovi and I said, Jovi, you need Jesus. Uh, <laughs> you, you are three years old and you are bad, you know. Um, she's, uh, she's three and, and she's learning to push the envelope. And, uh, and she doesn't care. You know, she doesn't care how big this thing is, all right? I'm a big dude. I, you know, I got nothing to hide. I can't hide it. I'm a big guy. She don't care. I, I have no intimidation factor on her whatsoever. And, man, she learns to push it. Um, but she is, she is so beautiful, and, and I, uh, I'm excited to see um, just, just her and how she relates to my little Mia. Jovi turned three in April. On April 3rd, Mia Bell turned one on February 26th, and uh, this... Um, this is a blessing, a gift straight from God the Father, uh, and it excites me. I'm excited about my kids uh, and, and what the Lord uh, has in store for our family. I learned a lot of things as a dad. I've been a dad for three years. I've learned about uh, what a wonderful world it would be if all the raindrops were lemon drops and gumdrops. And you look at me and you're like, what? That crazy little rocker that my girls swang in when they were, you know, infants, what if all the raindrops were lemon drops and kill me now because I cannot take it? Okay, and so like constantly, you know, I'm like, oh, what a beautiful song. I hate it, throw it out. So when Mia got out of the little rocker, it was a beautiful thing. It was like a rejoicing in our house. Um, I learned that there's, a, there's not enough cotton balls in the world to cure you from a teething baby. And I tried it. I'm a wimp. I, I confess here. This, this thing is all a facade. I mean, I'm big. That's not fake. But I, listen, I, you know, a teething baby, it's like, man, you just want to kind of gouge your, your ears and just like sometimes, man, you just, you just want to rip your hair out because it is loud mess. My wife can handle it. Me, I'm a, I'm a wimp. Uh, I learned that, uh, <laughs> 
I learned that wet diapers aren't a bad thing. They're easy. I learned that dirty diapers are for my wife. (laughs) You ever had a preacher come to you and uh, talk to you about dirty diapers? You're about to get it. It, It's funny, the the differences between my wife and I. Uh, My wife is so meticulous and she's so exact. She she, when she changes our, our girls, or, or Mia now, you know, she, she has the ability to take one wipe, you know, the little square wipe. And, and this, is, this is crazy. Uh, and she'll wipe, and then she'll, she'll fold it in half, and she'll wipe again, and she'll fold it in half, and she'll wipe again, she'll fold it in half. And me, give me 10 of those babies because I don't want to touch it. Okay, that, that's where I am. If it takes me half a box of wipes to get the job done, amen, because I know I'm safe. I am not as bad, and I'm, I'm thankful, Brian, that Josh isn't here. I'm not as bad as my brother Josh, who I, and see, this is great because I'm flying back to Nashville, nothing he can do about it. Uh, <clears throat> my brother Josh, when it came to diapers in his house, he'd run to the bathroom first, and he'd wad up some toilet paper, stick it up his nostrils, Come on, Brian, see? And I'm, at least I'm not that bad. I don't mind smelling. Well, I do mind smelling. I just don't want to touch it. I don't want to come near it. I've learned that Phineas and Ferb is like one of the greatest cartoons known to man. Can I get a witness? Phineas is my boy. I, I love him. Uh, but in that, I also have to put up with Dora the Explorer. Backpack, backpack. And I'm thinking, no, turn it off. I've learned to love the bubble guppies. I actually kind of think that show's cute. Uh, Sesame Street, and then the little bald-headed boy, uh, Caillou. Uh, that's all up in the house. Mommy, I want to watch Caillou. I'm like, okay, in your room. On a serious note, man, I, I've loved watching them develop. I've, I've loved watching just the, just the small things. Uh, Mia right now has uh, t- finally ventured off from, like, the couch and the walls to take off walking, and that's all she does. She gets a kick out of it. She just walks, and she loves it. She just walks in circles because she can do it, and she's a wobbly little mess, and she, you know, and so she just loves it. And so it's fun just watching them physically develop, their personalities and how different they are, uh, watching them develop. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch God just, uh, it, it's blessings. It really is to see really what God is doing in the life of our family. I've also learned a lot about my relationship with the Lord and having children. Um, I've learned about my responsibility more and more that as a parent, it is my sole responsibility, not of the church, not of the Sunday school. They assist and they, they equip and that's good. And I'm not trying to discredit those things. But as a, mom and, and as a mom and a dad, it is my sole responsibility to teach them that there is a God in heaven who absolutely adores and loves my two little babies. And, and that's a beautiful feeling. Um, and, and, and it's convicting. Uh, it, it teaches me a whole lot about myself and making sure my relationship with God is in tune so that I can turn around and share it with my little Jovi and with my, my Mia. This morning we're going to talk a little bit about that. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, you can find your way there. Most of you know that I work for, um, uh, for one of our ministry agencies in Nashville for Randall House Publications. I've been with them for five years. And uh, one of the big things that we're doing and really just trying to push now is this thing called a D6 
philosophy. And I want to tell you this morning that this, I don't come to you as a, a Randall House or a publication rep, and that's just what I do. Um, I am a firm believer that strong families build stronger churches, uh, that the family is the core nucleus. Uh, we all understand that God and his word is central to the body of Christ. I get that, but is the, is the core nucleus, the family uh, of, of the church. And I'm a firm believer that strong families build even stronger churches. But this is where I am in life. So I'm hoping that through this process, you'll get a little bit of my heart, a little bit of me and, and what I deal and, and how I do. And, uh, and so this is where I am in life. And as you, as you approach Deuteronomy chapter 6, here's a little bit of what's going on. You may be familiar with the incredible story of the exodus out of Egypt, of the signs and wonders that God does uh, before the children of Israel. Uh, by this time, they have escaped the Egyptian army. They have escaped from the bondage of Egypt. God saw them through uh, the desert. You remember they got to the Red Sea, and what an incredible story. And if there's DVDs and a red box in heaven, that's one of them I'm pulling out. And I ain't going to return it for 20 days, and it'll be mine, because I think that's an incredible, incredible story. But so we see what God does for the children of Israel through the desert. And, and there's this period, right, of... of um, of belief, you know, God does, the children of Israel believe, and then all of a sudden there's this rebellious aspect, and there's judgment and blessing, and we see this uh, cycle throughout the whole Old Testament of this, this period of belief and rebellion and judgment and blessing, and for a quick example, we'll use the Red Sea again. Remember when the children of Israel got to the Red Sea? Now, God had already performed an awesome wonder of allowing them to escape the hand of the Pharaoh. The, the, the Pharaoh let them go. After plagues, after plague, after plague, after plague, Pharaoh finally got it, and God allowed him to kind of get it. And so they escaped. And there's this, there's this celebration, there's this, this, this jubilation because we're free. Then they get to the Red Sea. Moses, you bring us out here to die? What's that about? After seeing what God has done, they rebelled. And they said, Moses, did you bring us out here that, that we might die? And, and then you remember they get past the Red Sea. And now how you get past the Red Sea is beyond me, okay? I'm, I'm just thinking in your mind. Once God delivers you from that and you look back and you see the armies of the Pharaoh just get washed out and drowned, they, they make it into the desert, then they get hungry and there's nothing to eat. Moses, you bring us out here and we might starve to death? What's your problem? Seriously? God gives them manna. Now they're thirsty. God, or Moses, you bring us out here, we might thirst to death? What's your problem? And so we see this continue. I mean, God just delivered you from the Red Sea, just from the armies of, of the Pharaoh. God just gave you food to eat. He provided day in and day out. He is sustaining you, and yet you just don't get it. And I look back at that story, and I'm like, you guys are foolish. And I look at my life. I'm like, push you, you go through the same mess all the time. And it's a vicious cycle in my life. I'm a preacher and I, hey, this is, this is it. Uh, I'm, I'm as human as, as anyone else. Um, and, and I look at this and I'm thinking, man, push, you believe? Then you get in this state where you just rebel and God speaks to you and, 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 uh, and, and moves you through that. And then there's this, there's this state of blessing that God yet again comes through and provides for you. And then moments later, if not like a half hour later, there you are again, push, you dummy. 
That's a Greek word, dummy. And doing it again. And it's just this vicious cycle. So we see all that God has done. God has brought them a long way. And we approach this passage in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, right before they were going to enter into the promised land. Verse 1 says this. Now this is the commandment. And these are the statutes and judgments <coughs> which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God and keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandsons all the days of your life, and that, the days may be, that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the, Lord, uh, as the Lord God of your fathers have promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, he didn't even get to this, this, this command yet. He's just setting you up. And, 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 I, and, and that little paragraph right there can simply be boiled down to, hey, listen up. It's about to get serious. Okay, that, that's a small paraphrase of this little of this little chapter. We're about to come uh, to a portion in, in Scripture uh, called the Shema. Uh, and in Jewish culture, this Shema is very real in the life of a Jewish family to this very day. Uh, and we'll speak more to that in just a moment. Uh, just a brief background in what, in, in what this means, this Shema. It simply means this. The Shema means to simply hear. It begins with the word hear, O Israel. And so we have the Shema. It says hear. It's a proclamation. It's a word that says, hey, listen and do. It's about to get serious. You've heard a lot. This you need to get. The second word involved is Israel. And it's simply addressing, it's giving you a title to whom they're addressing. It's, it's the Jewish congregation. It's the, it's the children of Israel. And he says, it's the Shema Israel Adonai. Adonai simply means the Lord, Yahweh. He is, the next word is Elohim. He is our God. He is the God. That article that you see there, the El in Elohim or Elohenu, is, is an article that defines who he is. He is not just a God. That El says he is the God. And so you need to listen up. You need to buck up and take what you're about to hear because it's about to get serious. And the last, the last word is ikad, meaning he is God alone. And we just sang those beautiful words. You are God alone. From before time began, you were on your throne. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, was Christ himself. He was there at creation. Jesus says, before Abraham even was, I am. Man, what a beautiful word. And this ikad kind of cements it in stone. It settles the fact that he is God alone. He is unique. He's not like the foreign gods or the, the idols that, that you have worshipped in Egypt that you have fallen prey to. He is God and that is it. And some of us look and say, yeah, that's right, preacher. And I'm saying some of us need to settle that fact today, that, that he indeed is God alone. And so that is the Shema. And here is, uh, here is the passage in, in verse 4. Uh, Mike, if you want to put it there, thank you. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, 
Yahweh is God. The Lord, Elohim, he is one. Verse five, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Verse six, and these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as signs on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What a powerful passage. And I just wanna, I just wanna take some time and just kind of break that down a little bit for you. I hope you love the word this morning. I hope that... Uh, that is your passion. And, and look, I, I come to you and, and say, you know, sometimes I, I fail in that area. Uh, you know, and not taking the word um, of seriously. And there's days that, that I've gone without reading. And, and I just, I hope, and it's convicting to me, but I hope that you love and respect and adore the word and you get into it because that's where life bread is at. That's where God communicates to us. And so I just want to take a few moments and just kind of break this down a little bit for us. And I want to first of all start by saying this, of all the tragedies in child rearing, and not just that, but all the tragedies that, that face our society, perhaps the greatest tragedy is when Christian parents fail to convey their faith to their children. And there are many reasons for this failure, but it doesn't make, any, make it any less of a failure. Some parents may fail because they don't grasp the necessity of it. And I get that, and I'm like, wow, Really? I don't understand that. And, and this is parents that sit in church day in and day out. And they kind of leave it to the church to kind of to do the church thing, the God thing in their family. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull up at Kirby and, and whoever's taking care of the nursery, they got that. They can take care of my two girls. So some parents may fail because they don't necessarily uh, grasp the importance of sharing their faith with their children. And I'm not talking about a pious uh, plastic or, or a phony uh, phoniness. I'm just saying that our children need to know that our relationship with Christ is deeply personal and very real. Otherwise, they, re they may reject our faith and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And to me, that's important to convey those truths. It is our God-given responsibilities, not just as mom and dad, but I realize there's some people in here that you may be an aunt and uncle. You may be grandma or grandpa, or you're, you may be experiencing that empty nester thing going on, you know, where, where your kids are kind of like old, you know, and, and they're doing their own thing. I turned 30 uh, this past October, man, and it kills me, but you know what's great? I know that Brian's older than me, and so I have only 30, buddy, so, uh, and I'll leave you alone now, I promise. Uh, but I, I realize some of y'all, you know, th this still applies. What we'll get through, it'll break down nicely for you. And so if you're not a parent, I don't want you to check out on me, okay? Uh, I want you to, to, to perk up and, and hear, uh, thus saith the word of the Lord. But it is a privilege. This is our God-given responsibility. It is a privilege of parenthood that carries with it the responsibility of nurturing our children. We are constantly reading in the newspaper of some parent who has physically abused their children. And we read these stories and we're repulsed by it, are we not? Uh, the, the story that gets me every time, and you at least hear at least one or two times every Sunday or every summer, you know, when it's like 102 billion degrees outside, and, and kids are left in their car and the windows are up and there's no AC and, and then mom and dad come out and, and, and their child's dead. 
And I'm not making light. I mean, that, that's serious. But it's kind of like, to me, in, in a sense, it's kind of one of those duh statements, Tommy. It's kind of like, duh. It's 100 million degrees out. And then it's like three or four weeks later, you read the same exact story. It's like, did you not learn anything? <laughs> did you not get it? And so we hear these stories of, of physical abuse and we're repulsed by it. It, it. it makes us sick. We hear of damage done by parents who perhaps may not physically abuse but emotionally abuse their children and we become anger at how they treat their kids. We read stuff like that all the time. However, I contend that there's a third type of abuse that can ultimately lead to their destruction and that is spiritual abuse. And that happens when parents fail to convey their faith to their children when they take a nonchalant approach to their walk with God and it means nothing for their families. It's kind of important. I, I do the church thing. You know, that, that's all good. But perhaps it's not lived out. At home, they kind of get a different picture and we'll talk about that some in just a moment. But I just want to take a few more minutes this morning and break down uh, this passage. Number one says that our faith must be real in our own hearts. Uh, verse five and six say this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now just to show you how important this is, later on in Matthew, when Christ uh, comes to earth uh, and does his ministry, Christ adds to this and he says, Lord, the Lord love the Lord your God uh, with all your heart, soul. He adds the word mind and strength. This was crucial. Jesus reached back into the Shema and said, oh, remember when the Sadducee came to him and said, Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's how important this is. And so our faith must be real in our hearts. And it says, and these words, which I command you today, shall be where? In your heart. This wasn't just a bit of information. Hey, Tommy, I need you to relay this to your kids. Don't worry about living it out. I just need you to give it to them. But it says, first, it must be real to you. It must be upon your heart. Children are the greatest detectors of hypocrisy in the home. I believe that. And even as a, um, as a parent to a three-year-old, she, she gets it when daddy ain't right. Yeah, and it's not like I'm in there and, and dropping bombs and, and all this mess. I mean, I'm not, you know, tearing, tearing it up. But they, they know. They know when something's up with dad, when he's angry. He knows when he just snapped at mommy. It's true. But I mean, even, even in more serious cases, they know children are the greatest detectors of hypocrisy. They know that mommy and daddy, if they're different at church, they know it. They know that if mom and dad are one way at church and then when they come home, it's kind of like, man, what happened to all that church talk? What happened to all this? You know? What happened to that word of God? They're the greatest detectors of those kind of things. And so that's why it's important. The faith that we pass on to our kids, it's not just a, a written word that we say, okay, here you go. It must take place in our heart. We must buy into those truths. We must accept that for, for what it is and it must be real in our hearts before we could ever think about passing that faith along. Our faith must be real in our hearts first as parents. George Barna said this. He said in his book, Spiritual Champions, he said that uh, if you want to raise spiritual 
champions, you must first champion Christ in your own heart. Man, and that, that's just bottom line. That's it. Uh, you, you cannot be, um, uh, in a sense, you cannot be disturbed by the result if you're not living it yourself. Is that not true? Uh, you must champion the cause of Christ. You must champion Christ in your life before you ever expect to raise spiritual champions out of your kids. So the first part is our faith must be real in our own hearts. Second point is that teaching our children will take diligent effort. In verse 7, the first part of verse 7, it says, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. This idea that the Lord our God, he is one, and that we are to love him with our entire being. He says, we need to take those principles and it's going to take a diligent effort to pass those items along, those, those statements along to our kids. It says to teach them. Another translation uses the word impress them. And I, I like that word impress. You know what I think of when I think of the word impress? This is kind of nasty. Uh, I think of, you know, I spent like half of my life in a dentist chair. I had some, uh, what's, what's the word? I had some jacked up teeth. Y'all young kids understand jacked up. I had some crazy, crazy teeth going on. So I did the whole braces thing. I did the whole retainer thing. Then I didn't do the whole retainer thing. So now when I smile a lot, it's one of these. <laughs> because my teeth are jacked up. Now, that's what happens when you don't wear. So kids who have braces and have retainers, I'm going to sound like my dad. And of course, I didn't listen to him, and now I'm paying for it. Wear your retainers. Otherwise, your teeth will go back to what they were. Wear them. That's what I got from my dad, and I didn't listen. And this is really, uh, who, who talks about this kind of stuff? Um, it's, it's ridiculous. But I think of the word impression. You remember that junk, like that, that nasty gunk they used to put in your mouth, and you're like, here, bite down for an hour. Okay, it was probably only like 10 seconds, right? But it seemed like an eternity. I suffered in those moments. It was just that nasty funk. It's just, here, bite down. It's going to last like forever. It tastes nasty. But that's what I think of. And, and they just want to get an impression of your teeth. And then when they take it out, it hardens up. And I always thought the end result was kind of neat. Those little statue of your teeth. Just in case you're not depressed when you smile in the mirror, here's a real look at what your nasty teeth look like. <laughs> you know? And that was me. It's like, man, why is that one like kind of turned? And, and that one's kind of behind and it's crooked. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. That was really nice. Not only did it taste like junk, now I get to look at it. And, you know, good going. But that's kind of what it reminds me of. It's, it, 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 um, once they're done, once they take that out and it dries, it, it uh, solidifies. And that's what I think about the word impress, is that it's a solid content. We want to take that and impress those things on, the, on our children. We're not forcibly, forcibly. We want to teach them that word impress. I also think about a, a T-shirt factory or... Um, you know, where they, they pull down the big iron, you know, and, and they impress that picture, that logo, you know, on a T-shirt. And then uh, if you don't remember and you kind of iron over that later, it kind of melts and ruins your whole iron and ironing board. And then you get mad, you know, that going off on a tangent because that happened to me this week. Um, it did, no lie. Um, and so that's what I think of impressing, to make that permanent to make a long-lasting impression on the life of your children. And it says it's going to be a diligent effort. These things that we're going to take, we have to be diligent. How thorough? Read the next verse. And point number three, it says teaching them will take intimate communication at every possible opportunity. It says you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. 
when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, do you see anything in there in between? At every possible moment, at every possible opportunity, and I'm not saying you just shove Jesus down, your th- down their throat. I'm not saying that, all right, it's time to get up for school. Jesus loves you, and if you don't get right, you're going to hell. Nah, I ain't talking about that. Many of you parents in this room today subscribe to the thing that we do called Splink. And so what Splink is, you sign up for, and every week we kind of send you three simple ways that you can connect uh, faith at home. Uh, when, it's, when it's driving, you know, down the road and, and, and Jovi says, Mommy, trees! And you're like, man, God made those trees, you know? Arena um, told me the other day that as they were walking out, um, as they were walking out to, uh, to their, their daycare or the babysitter, Jovi kind of fell, kind of scraped her knee. And of course, you know, it, it's not bad. Like, and I'm not, I'm not merciless, so don't think that. But like when, kid, when stuff happens like that to kids, it's like bloody murder. It's kind of like seriously, it just kind of flicked you. And you're like screaming like somebody just, you know. But Jovi, you know, she fell and she scraped her knee. And so they got in the car. And uh, a little bit later, mommy, mommy, like she'd seen a ghost. Yeah, yeah, what happened? Rena said, Jovi said these words. She goes, Jesus, uh, Jesus will take care of my boo-boo. And I'm like, that's so, that's so easy. And some of you look, that's kind of cheesy. But man, I'm loving that thought. I, I'm loving how she's thinking at three years old. That, that, you know what, church? Listen, Jesus cares about my little Jovi's boo-boo. That doesn't mean in like two or three seconds it's going to be bing and it's going to be all like smooth skin and beautiful, you know. Baby skin's the greatest, by the way, and it's still good at three years old. I love it. I love bath time, and that's, that's just, baby skin is great. Anyway, uh, but Jesus cares about my little, and what that does, what that says to me is that, G, or that Jovi is realizing that this, this guy named Jesus, he's kind of set apart. This guy that we refer to as Jesus, he's important. Uh, he's just not another somebody. She recognizes that name as, as being unique and important, and Jesus does care about my little Jovi's boo-boo. And so that was a teachable moment for my wife. There's nothing in between. When you sit in your house and when you, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, I told you the Shema is so uh, 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 prevalent in the, in the life of, in the, in the Jewish culture. To this day, thousands of years after these words were written, that Shema is still quoted in every Jewish home, every morning, noon, and night. It's important. It's what they do. They share it with their kids, and they look at, and they look at their, their little one, and they say, Shema Israel, Elohim Adonai Echad. The Lord our God is one. It's an important factor, and they, they do it at every possible moment. Uh, and that doesn't mean that, you know, that life ain't fun. I mean, we, man, we have a blast together. You know, we still, you know, it's not like, all right, Jovi, now we're swinging. Time to talk about Jesus. You know what I'm saying. But it is a diligent effort. Verse 8 says that the word of God must be central. Uh, verse 8 says this. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. 
and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. This word, and now that we have the whole word, this word of God must be central to our lives. That we filter our behavior, we filter our behaviors, our actions, our word through the word of God. It must be that real. It must take that preeminence in our life that all that we say and do, whether at work, whether we're a doctor, whether we're a preacher, whether we're a teacher, whether we're a stay-at-home mom, whether you work in the auto industry, whatever you do, the word of God is central in our lives. It's not just a church thing. All right? And that's kind of what it's saying here. It's to be a sign on your hand. It's supposed to be right there in front of you. It's to to serve as the frontlets between your eyes so that even when you close your eyes, that little bit of light that you see, that is the word of God taking its central place and its central uh, place in your heart. Verse 9 says that the word of God uh, must be displayed openly before their eyes. It says, write them uh, on, the, on the door frames or on the doorposts. This is amazing to me. I, I've never been to Israel. I, I've always wanted to go, um, and I've never been, and I hope that's one of the things I get to do in my lifetime is, is, is to walk uh, the roads of, of, of where, where Christ walked. I think it would be an amazing uh, an experience. Um, but my friend has recently returned, and <laughs> it's funny to me, and I don't know why I get such a kick out of this, but did you know Jerusalem has a Hilton? Isn't that kind of weird? Like when I think of like Jerusalem, I think like Bible times, it's like, so when you go, you know, you kind of like live in huts. You know what I'm saying? And that's so not true, and that's like ignorant of me. But like <laughs> Jerusalem has a Hilton. They have like a Sheraton Hotel. And like from what I understand, <clears throat> they're absolutely gorgeous. But if you were to walk into the hotel, and this Hilton, if it, if it you know, you, most Hiltons and Sheratons have several hundred rooms. Every doorpost, every doorpost of every room, so if it's a thousand room hotel, every doorpost has this little scroll that's rolled up and it's stuck in the doorframe. And what does it say? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is one. That's some serious stuff. Every door. He said that he got on a couple buses. And he says as he was stepping foot on the, on the bus, you know, the little, you know, and it opens up, there's a little scroll that's tucked in there somewhere with the words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love him with your entire being. That ama- that, to me, that's just amazing. That's a very literal thing happening here. Um, and, and I think it says this, that the word of God must be open or displayed openly before their eyes. They need to see the word of God lived out before them in their daily lives. It's not enough just to tell them how to live for God. It's not enough just to tell them about the love of God. They must be shown the love of God. They must be able to see that acted and and modeled in front of them. We must, as parents, as adults, model those things. We must first buy into it and believe it with our whole heart and model it before them. Because what did I say earlier? Kids are the greatest detectors of hypocrisy in the house. It's true. Never think that your kids are too young to understand. Man, that is so false. But it must be openly displayed. In the Great Commission, Jesus commands that not only do we uh, make disciples, but that we teach them to observe the law. 
It's not enough to tell somebody, Tommy, you need to know Jesus. Amen. Tommy knows Jesus. Y'all know that. But it's not enough for us just to tell. We must show and do. James put it this way. We need to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. Why? Because that ought to be the natural outflow of our lives if we're sold out to Christ and his church. I want to kind of wrap all this up with kind of giving you a, a little breakdown of, of kind of what happens after, after these words. God continues to do some incredible things before the children of Israel. We know that Moses was only just, uh, able to see uh, what God had promised and he wasn't able to enter the land. Uh, some of us are familiar with that story. It's an incredible story that, that uh, Moses and his disobedience and his rebellion rebelled and, and disobeyed God, and, that, and it cost him. And God told Moses, he said, Moses, you're going to take them to the land, but you're not going to be able to go in it. And so we know that Moses died at 126 years old in Moab, right on the border of the promised land. So then we get to Joshua. God raises up Joshua. You remember Joshua was one of the 12 spies that were, that were sent into the promised land to, to kind of scope out the situation. And, and, and 10 of the 12 spies came back and said, hey, we can't do this. There are giants in that land, and if we go, we're dead. We're gone. Caleb and Joshua, and I love those two because I, I love their fervor. I love their, their, um, their, just, their excitement about the Lord. Said, hey, man, the Lord said we can have it. We can take it. I'm like, man, I need some of that. And so we, we learn that, that God raises up uh, Joshua they're the only ones who truly believe that, that they could take the land that God swore to them. And so uh, God raises him up to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. God gives Joshua the same words he gave Moses. He says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And we have these familiar words, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Three times in the first chapter of Joshua, God encourages him to be strong and courageous. Joshua has no idea what was, gonna, what was about to happen, what was about to unfold, how much God was going to use Joshua in the land of, of Israel and how he's going to use him to defeat these earthly kings and, and, and demolish all of these, these fortresses and all these, these palaces, all these kingdoms, these earthly kingdoms that he had set up. God did some amazing triumphant things through Joshua. As Joshua's life comes to a close, he addresses the children of, or the, the leaders of Israel with some uh, some of the very words from God. And he says, be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey what was written in the book of the law of Moses. Remember, remember all that God has done for you. And as you read through the first five books uh, of the Old Testament, you'll be constantly reminded to remember what God had done for you. Remember that he freed you from Egypt. Remember that he parted the Red Sea. Remember he took you across the Jordan River. Remember that he supplied your every need. Remember all these things God has done for you. Don't forget what God has done. We see the familiar words at the end of Joshua. The, you know, the, the, the passage that says, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Do you know the context of that story? It's amazing. You would think that after all these miraculous works, the children of Israel would just get it. It's like, how much more do you need? Seriously, I have proven your, my, uh, my faithfulness to you time and time again, and yet they continue to forget. And Joshua says, hey, you're going to come to a point in your life, you're just going to have to make a choice. But as for me and my house, I've seen what God has done, and I'm going to seek after him. 
And I'm like, what an incredible message that he delivers. To me, I'm thinking, surely they got it. Look what God has done, but they didn't. And you get this constant reminder what happened, or to remember, don't forget what God has done. Why Judges chapter 2, it's not on the screen, I'll read it for you. Judges chapter 2, verse 8, probably some of the most depressing, discouraging scriptures found in the Old Testament. It says this, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at uh, Timnath of Heres in the hill of the country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Verse 10 says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, after that whole generation that knew what God had done for them, after that whole generation had gone to their fathers, that's a real nice biblical way of saying, after that whole generation died, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And I'm thinking, seriously? After all that God had done for your, for your mom and dad and your, your grandma and grandpa, for your aunts and uncles, for your friends, for that whole community, after all that God has done, after all the constant reminders that, that uh, Moses had given you, don't forget, Tommy, don't forget what God has done for you. Don't forget the blessings that God has brought you through. Don't forget those trials in life that you have suffered. Don't forget what God has done in your life, lest you forget. Well, duh, that's what happens when you don't remember. This is what I call, this is what happens when D6 or when the Shema fails. That there arose another generation who knew not the Lord. Not only did they not know the Lord, they didn't even know what the Lord had done for them. They were so far removed. And there are times in my life that I tend to forget. There are times in my life that I, you know, I'm kind of reminded, oh my gosh, man, I forgot the Lord. Look what the Lord has brought me through. And I'm so thankful And I want Jovi and Mia to know the love of God. I don't want them to rise up and know not the Lord, neither the things that the the Lord has done for for mommy and daddy. I want them to, to grow up knowing that the Lord our God is one. He is all that matters. I want them to learn the song that right now, in the good times and the bad, even in the beginning, God was still God. He was still on the throne. He is God alone. I want my daughters to know that. I want them to cherish that. I want them to, to fall in love with that. My greatest responsibility as a parent is to teach them that there is a God in heaven who loves them even more than mommy and daddy. And that's crazy thinking sometimes. Because I am madly in love with kids. And they need to know that there is a God in heaven that loves them more than I do. You know, and sometimes I'm like, God, you want to you test me on that? Yeah, I mean, because I, I love my kids. I called my wife the other day uh, while I was at these meetings this weekend. And I heard my little Jovi in the background. And this wasn't set up or anything like this. She's just kind of random worship Jovi is, you know. Just walking around the house and all of a sudden... Jesus nuffs me. Her L's are N's. They sound like N's. Jesus nuffs me. And I'm, I'm loving it. But she, she gets that it's, there's something special. She doesn't understand the, the theological ramifications of salvation and being justified and all that stuff. I don't expect that from a three-year-old. I don't even get a lot of that. You're a preacher. But to know that, that God is unique and to know that God is different I want to help her remember all that God has done for us, all that God has done in the life of my little Jovi who was born with cleft palate 
and God brought her through it. To know that at one years old, we had to take her to Vanderbilt Children's Hospital for her to, to be put out, to see what God has done in her life and see what God has done for Rena and I through that whole, uh, that, that time. I want her to know these things. I don't ever want her to forget that Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Teach them or impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk around the, along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Do these things lest you forget. Would you stand and pray with me? Lord God, we love you. We thank you for this time together. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, use your word to speak to us. It's not about my words or what I have to say.